Hello, Stuart. Hello. Did you know that they used to sell magic mushrooms in Camden Market in the early uh, early two thousands? I think mid sort of mid like two thousand and four, something like that. Do you know that? I realise that this might sound sarcastic or something, but I was you know my resp- immediate response to that is I, I've never taken drugs and have no interest in that, and that's not sarcastic or I'm not trying to like cover for anything. I literally have never taken any drugs, and uh, especially of that nature, psych- psychedelics. Uh, there's a real chance my parents will be listening to this, so obviously I have never taken any drugs either. He's being ironic and sarcastic there. Is it ironic or sarcastic? Um, I, I think it's lying, is what it is. Right. Um, but, <laughs> Fair enough. But, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, they sell they sell magic mushrooms in Camden Market for a bit, and then someone there's some loophole in the law, so you could sell them fresh but not dried. It's the way these things are, and then someone, you know, someone uh, in the government noticed that young people were having fun, so they put a stop to that. Did um, they count as a legal high? Is that what they were? Yeah, that, I think there was, there was a, there was yeah. a period when there was various loopholes and yeah, and you yes. could get various things which then turned out to be... Some, some of them were things like magic mushrooms, which as far as I can tell are pretty safe, and some things yes. were uh, things which were massively more dangerous versions of existing but illegal drugs. Um, yeah, there was, a whole, there was a whole batch of them turned up in the mid-2000s. Um, anyway, we're going to talk about drugs. Welcome yes. to the study show. Hello. My name's Stuart Ritchie. I'm the science writer of The Eye. Yep, I'm Tom Chivers. I'm a science writer at Semaphore. Um, And we were going to ask, do psychedelics treat mental health problems? It's it's something you see headlines about constantly. It pops up all the time. And it always seems to be that there's like a breakthrough has been made, a massive breakthrough has been made. Uh, It seems like it's sort of on the verge of being a a big thing. And there have been big books about it, uh, very, you know, best-selling books. How to Change Your Mind, I think, was the the biggest one. Was Um, it? I I hadn't heard of that. Who's that by? Uh, Michael Pollan, How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence is the full title of that book. Sounds like a big deal. Loads Um, of people read that and started taking... Try, you know, trying psychedelics and it became a big became a big thing. In fact, I think he's got a Netflix series now um, right. about the same topic. Crikey. Um, and yeah, so there's also um, the US FDA has released, recently uh, released guidelines on research into psychedelics. I mean, LSD, psilocybin, that's... So LSD is acid, which you most yep. have heard of. Psilocybin is um, the sort of active ingredient in magic mushrooms. Yeah. Ketamine is the thing that gets called a horse tranquilizer quite a lot, but it actually is some weird dissociative uh, psychedelic drug, which makes yeah. people f- feel weirdly. And MDMA, which is the active ingredient in um, ecstasy. Eckies. yes. yes. Eckies, that's what we call it in Scotland. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But, you know, but you didn't, obviously, because you weren't cool enough. No, um, did not. But you do <laughs> regularly see people walking around chewing the inside of their their mouth and that's that's eckies that's yeah, what yeah, that is the, the gurning that people think, do god i want to be like that guy didn't you they think wow, sort of that yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> it seems we're having a great time um, and the other thing so that's that's america but in yeah. australia they've gone even further than that at least for at least for psilocybin and mdma because they've actually at the time of recording anyway they've just legalized them for use in particular kinds of psychotherapy so oh, for yeah. mdma for PTSD hmm. and psilocybin for a, a, what's called treatment-resistant depression, which uh, I think is defined, you know, in a, in, a, in a particular way. But it'll be, you know, very long-term. Doesn't respond to drugs or other kinds of therapy. Uh, you know, the usual kind of drugs. I mean, doesn't respond to uh, antidepressants, yeah, that's, that's SSRIs, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. And so they're going to try doing therapy with psilocybin, and that seems like quite a leap, right? Because there's only a few, well, we'll talk, we'll talk about this, but there's only a few studies and other countries are nowhere near 
getting to that mm. point yet, but Australia has jumped far ahead of, of everyone else um, in the last, uh, just in the last few weeks. Yeah, but to be clear, right, antidepressants work, but they only work in a, you know, each antidepressant only works in a subset of patients. Quite a lot of patients are really, really struggle to, for it to work in, uh, get with, with any antidepressants. Yeah, and you if, try lots of different ones, don't you? Yeah, yeah exactly. And and, 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 it's, and it's really a slow and difficult process because you have to sort of uh, taper up and uh, the the drug uh, each time and see if it works over some number of weeks and if it doesn't you try another one but you have to taper off the first mm-hmm. one and so mm-hmm. it's a slow so it is really hard finding antidepressants that work for depressed patients and if if this if it, if it is true if it is right that the um psychedelics are really effective in treating them then that is brilliant Right, that is yeah. that is a really good piece of news, and we'd have more tools, you know, more weapons in the armory, whatever your preferred metaphor <laughs> is, in the battle against against depression. So, so it is, it would be a good thing if these things work. You know, totally, I, 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 yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the, the controversy partly is because you know there's a whole subculture for decades of taking psychedelics, and they've got a kind of a reputation of being a bit, uh, or maybe a more than a bit out there and kind of hippie-esque and uh you know they've got a kind of a reputation of not being hardcore scientific you know interventions like um, yes. like 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 a, like an ssri uh, would be um and maybe people look at them in a similar way to the way they look at some like herbal therapy uh, you know herbal remedies and stuff mm. like that because they're kind of natural or some of them are natural or lsd of course which made them yeah. but there are also other ones like um that are kind of used by indigenous societies ayahuasca is one mm. um and there's various other ones pe- peyote um yeah. which have kind of been around for decades and uh, around for hundreds of years centuries, I say. yeah 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 been around for centuries and have kind of got that reputation of being a kind of countercultural thing so i think that's why people are a bit suspicious of them and also why people like to say Look, there's this thing which we've known about for centuries, and now we've discovered that actually it's really, it's really mm. good. Like, I think there's a sort of slightly counterintuitive thrill in saying this thing you thought was just for hippies, actually, it's going to cure depression. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is. You're, you are quite right that there is a sort of image of psychedelics of paperback books from the 1960s by some professor who ended up taking too many of them and then started thinking he could talk to God or something. But books with dolphins on the front you know that sort of stuff and yeah uh, and and like i don't know there's also a lot of people will i'm sure we'll get into this but there's a lot of people who just really like taking you know psychedelics are a lot of fun right (laughs) people will (laughs) i I gather i I would could be easily convinced a lot of people go this thing that i really enjoy doing well be great wouldn't it be great if it was also you know like happen to be yes. great, good, ready yes. to cure the mental health crisis, you know, prevent we will the mental health come to crisis. that. Yeah, yeah, we'll come to that form of conflict of interest uh, mm. later. Yes, later in yes exactly. But there is lots of excitement about this, right? There's a, so I, um, uh, some headlines, one from the Guardian in 2021, psychedelics are transforming the way we understand depression and its treatment. Uh, BBC wow. same year, psychedelic, psychedelic therapy could reset a depressed brain. Wow. And BBC 2022, psychedelic frees up depressed brain, study shows. And, you know, that sounds pretty good. I, I want, I want my uh, freeze up and reset, uh, fr- reset, you know, I want my brain to be freed up and reset. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, sounds absolutely. wonderful. I, th- I think for the first time on this podcast, you and I might have somewhat different opinions about this. All right, mm-hmm. I think there's a, I'm looking forward to you know fierce, angry disagreement because 
I'm I like so what I think we should probably talk about is why people think psychedelics might treat depression, right? Because it's not as if there's a massive body of scientific evidence backing it up. We'll talk about that later and see what the studies do show. But the theory is really interesting and sort of pleasing. Okay, and I'll I'll try and and do my best to explain yeah. it. Yeah, I'll leave yeah. it to you. You explain the theory, and then I will shoot the whole thing down with your well, well, experimental I, results. It's a, it's a, I think it's an interesting theory. So please, yeah, go, go, go ahead. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm not going to butt in until, until you've explained it. Because it, it is a sort of, uh, if you haven't heard this before, you got to sort of concentrate on it. Yeah, okay. So it's like, it comes down to some really basic deep brain theory sort of stuff. Okay, so there's the, the about how, what, how we perceive the world. So it, it feels like, you know, right now it feels like I'm perceiving the world as though through a window, that I have this clear image of everything around me and that I, I'm sort of, uh, you know, I'm living in this 3D um, uh, full colour uh, image of the world. But we know that can't be true because, you know, if we're just talking about vision, the actual information coming from our retina is from this tiny, you know, it's, the, the only bit that can see color is this tiny bit in the middle. The retina itself is all lumpy and distorted, but, you know, blood vessels going over it, its images curved. We, we, and we can't, it only has this tiny bit that sees color, like I said, you know. So we know that there's just not enough information coming up, coming in to build this constant 3D world. And also, it couldn't yeah. be, it couldn't be um, real time because the t- it takes, moments for the um signals from our nerves to get to our brain they, they travel weirdly slowly and you know it's not speed of light it's a few hundred miles an hour or something like that uh so if we if for example if if i was just living in the world that was given to me by my senses the information given to my senses if i knocked a, a like a pen off my desk and then tried to catch it using just that information i'd be aiming for a space about in the air about five centimeters above where it actually is like because the the time that the signal would take to get to my brain and then the, the signal to get back again to my hand would be would be so long that I'd, I'd just miss the pen. So, and this is really I think this is really well established. This goes back to people uh, like um, Richard Gregory in the seventies, but before that to um, like a, a German theorist called Heimholtz in the uh, late tw- late nineteenth century. What they established was that what our brains are in fact doing is building a model of the world at all times out of the information that comes in, but but sort of they're updating it with it. So so like I, I have in my brain a three D model of the world around me, and it's predicting basically where things are. It predicts where the pen will be when I drop it, and it's updating that that model with information from our senses. Okay, um, so it, it's it's like we have a scientific hypothesis of the world. Uh, of any, you know, like I, I have a hypothesis that hidden behind the pop screen on my microphone, there is a keyboard. I can, I, I just have that model in my brain. I can go and check out, check that with by looking by changing the position of my head to go and see it. So we're we're we've got this three D model of the world, and we are constantly updating it with information. So rather than it just being bottom up from the senses, it's a it's a combination of the top down predictions of the world meeting bottom up data from the world, and when they when those two don't meet when don't agree when there's some error in when when our our predictions are wrong in some way you know the signals don't match what they are predicted then our attention gets called to it and that is what's called prediction error and that's when you know we uh, update our update our sense of the world in some way so this is those stats fans of which i'm sure there are several might recognize this as 
Bayes' theorem, right? There's you get a prior probability of the world, you get new data coming in, and then the new data mixed with your prior beliefs becomes your new uh, becomes your new becomes your posterior. Everyone chuckles at that, but you know your your new your new your new understanding of the world. All right. Yes. So the more confident your predictions are. Like the more evidence you need to override them. So, like my belief that the coffee cup over on uh, out, of, out of my site, you know, uh, somewhere else in the room is red that I had earlier on. That's a very weak belief because like I wasn't really paying attention. Maybe it's yellow, you know, and I could go and check it, and that wouldn't take just a quick glance would be enough to override that weak belief. But right. other stronger beliefs, like there's the, the classic one, is the hollow mask illusion. If you if you look if you see a picture of a backwards a mask facing away from you, you will see it as a mask facing towards you because your brain just has a very very confident belief that masks that faces mask out uh, faces look outwards right you know faces point outwards there's not you don't see inside out faces very often and you get you get a really weird effect when you see a video of a rotating mask because your brain desperately tries to make sense of this face that's turning one way then suddenly flips and turns the other so you is that sorry i said i wouldn't interrupt sorry 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 no no, no do do because i've been talking for ages no I'll well i just what you and what you're going to say is that you know you update your beliefs or what you sort of what you have already said is that you update your beliefs with new stuff about the world yeah but optical illusions don't become less effective regardless of how much you've looked at them right i can look at that hollow mask illusion a million times and I'm still going to see it in in the weird optical illusion way. I'm still going to be surprised when it rotates. I'm still going to be surprised when I see those, you know, lines with little arrows on them that look like they're different lengths, but actually they're the same length. All, all that sort of stuff. I, I just feel like so. So it depends on how like this this Bayesian brain idea. Hmm. It depends on how strictly you want to say that the brain is is Bayesian, because I think like metaphorically you can say yeah you have a prior. And then you update it, and it becomes you know a posterior and all that sort of stuff. I think that, I think that that analogy works. But yeah. I think there's some people who say that the brain is literally doing Bayesian calculations when you when you do this. There are some psychologists who think that that is how it works. I don't know if optical illusions are. I feel like optical evidence. illusions might be evidence against it. In, in, in fact, because no matter how much you keep looking at the optical illusion, you never update your priors because there's always always works. No, well, I think the in um, there are some priors which are so strictly uh, okay with the, with the hollow mask thing. You 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 don't like the, you you will your um, you don't believe the mask is. In, it's not that you believe the mask is actually the other way around, is it? You 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 are capable of overturning that belief, right? Just your the your lower level processes in your brain, if you want to describe it that, will 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 constantly alert your high the, your high thing. Say, look, we've we've got a mismatch here. My predictions are, aren't, aren't working out, but your high level bit goes, no, it's all right. I can incorporate this into my model of the world. So, so I, I think you've got. So you think the model of the world includes the the information that this is an illusion? I I think I mean I I take your point about the. Um, about the you know if it was bayesian systems shouldn't assign god sorry this, this i i should admit that i've written a book uh about <laughs> yeah. bayesianism which is you know not yet available in all good books and we will does. we will link this to psychedelics right this is coming back to psychedelics I will, I very promise, very I promise, soon yeah. listeners yes, okay yeah, anyway all right yeah so but anyway but yes i i the um but if you look at maybe less uh, dramatic optical illusions like uh, text ones, then you can, you can, you can if, if you look more closely at it, you say, oh, wait, yes, that, that, that the word that was repeated there, I just missed it because I wasn't right, expecting right. it. Right, right. There are some that are less permanent or whatever than, than, than the, yeah. the classic 
optical ones yeah so, so we can get back onto psychedelics can we sort of we can posit it we can stipulate it that the that the brain has different strength beliefs and the stronger the belief the more evidence your brain will need from your senses to call it to sort of accept to change that belief now what psychedelics seem to do is relax our beliefs all right they seem they they make beliefs less strong so that's why they cause hallucination because you have beliefs like I mean, walls don't breathe is an example from one paper, right? Like, you know, I mean, but, but often people on psychedelics report that they do because random noisy movements of their retina and things give impressions that would that could be coming from the, the walls moving, for instance, right? And so, right. therefore, you're if you were, if you weren't on psychedelics, you would need incredibly strong evidence of you looking really closely at the, at the wall and seeing it moving. And whereas, whereas if you're on psychedelics just the sort of the noisy unpleasant the the, the noisiness of the of the signal from your uh, from your eyes can convince you that and patterns can look like they're crawling and all that sort of stuff it's also where they cause delusions because beliefs like i don't know there's the QAnon, whatever the, or the world is not run by pedophiles out of a pizza restaurant or whatever those beliefs Are you sure about that I'm, I'm, well, I was until this, the, the magic mushrooms I took ahead of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. no, yeah, no, they, they would not, they're sort of, I have strong beliefs that that's not true. And it would take an awful lot of evidence to convince me that they are, that it is. But if I'm on magic mushrooms, my beliefs are relaxed about, and, and less evidence like some weird post on 4chan could convince me, you know? Inter- in- interestingly, schizophrenia seems to be about having these pathologically low, uh, sort of having pathologically low confidence beliefs as well. And that leads to hallucinations and delusions. And interestingly, schizophrenics are less likely to fall for optical illusions. They, they are, they will be less likely to be fooled by the hollow mask illusion, for instance. And also there was a really neat little thing uh, by Chris Frith and uh, Sarah Jane Blakemore was that they they predicted that the the reason that you can't tickle yourself is that you could have got very high precision predictions of where the contacts of your fingers will be when you're tickling yourself, whereas someone else tickling you can't predict where they'll be. And that's the difference. They predicted that schizophrenics can tickle themselves. And lo and behold, they found uh, it was quite a small study, but and I would like to see it repeated. But you know, they they found that schizophrenics were very very significantly more likely to be able to tickle themselves than neurotypical persons. People, I love that result, and uh, yeah, I, I kind of wish, yeah, I want to believe that that's true because it's so like it's such a it's such a cool it's thing, such a neat little thing. But yeah, I haven't yeah. seen any I haven't seen any replications. And yeah, a small and it, study it seems and, like the sort of thing you could, if you were a psychiatrist and you had you know patients that you were working with and stuff, you could test fairly easily and without much, you know potential harm to the patients or anything along those lines. Exactly. It seems like the sort of thing you could you could you could replicate quite quite the other thing easily. that seems obvious that falls out prediction that falls out of that is do people on uh, magic mushrooms are, are they more able to tickle themselves? And I don't know if anyone I've been I I, I would like someone to test that and I don't think they have. Um, right. Right. If it uh, flattens your perception of yeah yeah yeah. Exactly. If it flattens the, the, the all the priors that you have, yeah. Yeah exactly if it reduces your priors. <clears throat> so to finish this up and bring it back to... Uh, right, we're getting back yes. to the topic of the podcast. Yeah, 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 the actual topic at hand. Yes. So one way that depression can be modelled is at, is as pathologically strong negative beliefs about yourself or the world that have sort of become so strong that they can't be overturned by evidence. You know, you, I, you believe that you are a terrible person or the world is terrible or that, you know, there's no point in anything, whatever. These the various ways in which depression manifests itself and you're trapped in this sort of thing. And then the idea is that psychedelics flatten the sort of the belief landscape is the term used that you, so that you can then with less evidence, dig yourself out of that hole. And with careful therapy, you can be moved from 
an inappropriate negative belief to an appropriate less negative belief in which the world is nicer than you thought and you are not terrible and things are okay that you know or you know the, the how we want to characterize depression so i think it is a very neat theory but this is the studies show so we yes. should see whether the studies well, yeah I, I we should talk about the actual studies i i think the theory sounds very neat as well but i think lots of theories sound neat and turn out to not mm. be not be true and i you know i think there are uh, potentially alternative like if if psychedelics work i think mm. there are possible alternative theories as well i mean obviously there's a there's a detailed rationale uh for why it would be specifically the case but unfortunately one of the authors of the paper that sets out the rationale is carl friston who mm. is notoriously incomprehensible and i think might actually just be talking like total gobbledygook <laughs> in a lot of in a lot of cases so I, I, I interviewed friston um yeah. carl i call him my, my buddy carl oh for for the book and actually when i in person really sort of lucid and interesting and funny and mm. and, and and made it and, and I, I i really understood but i had that exact thing is like so wait you i mean like one of his claims is that all our behavior can be modeled as trying to minimize prediction error the thing we were talking yes. about a minute ago. even like when when so even when we are hungry we're just we are in some sense predicting that we've had a sandwich and are and being wrong about that you know, it seems and, a bit uh, monomaniacal, doesn't it? It does. It, I, I get that, but then when when you speak when you speak to him, it's actually it's much. He's just saying this is a this is a, a a way you can mathematically model these things, and you can tr if you treat desires as fixed priors, and that then it, then it lets you model everything as this one. Thing. And, it, and it actually does make sense, but it's obviously it becomes a it becomes a a model for looking at the world rather than the falsifiable theory. But we've. We, we probably. I, I basically. I know you. I know you're not a massive fan of. of yeah, I, you know, I've been to multiple of his lectures when I, you? you know, was a, I saw him speak twice in Edinburgh and uh, maybe another time as well somewhere else. But anyway, uh, I'm not obviously anywhere near the stratospheric intelligence of Carl Friston, and I don't even mean that sarcastically. Like he's no, clearly he's, a very smart guy, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. and I just don't think he's very good at explaining things to people who are not at that level of stratospheric intelligence and i, and I, I suppose that would explain it, why i understood it so easily you um, yeah, clearly you lose yeah, track yeah. you know after 20 minutes or something and, and yeah. it's, it's never it's never coming back and I, and I do get the impression that the vast majority of people in the audience were in a similar Drifting off uh, checking their phones. A similar, yeah. a similar state the point is that it's a nice it's a nice theory i wonder if there's an alternative which is a bit more like it sort of sort of has a it's almost like the opposite of the lovely elegant theoretical prediction which is something more along the lines of electroshock therapy you know how electroshock therapy seems like mm. a really weird thing but actually it seems like a really scary sort of historical you know torturous treatment but actually well, it does well, seem well, to work for people yeah with like extreme depression psychiatrists will tell you i've never done a deep dive into the evidence maybe there's a whole show on that but psychiatrists mm -hmm. will tell you uh that it works for people with like like the sort of depression where you're in a catatonic state and you you literally can't even get out of your bed and, and it's and, and there's no real theoretical understanding of why electroconvulsive therapy which is literally passing a current through your brain there's no real particular theory as to why that w w would work but it just seems to fuck things up somehow like mm -hmm. and i don't mean in a bad way it just seems to like give you a, a jolt of some kind i mean a, a literal in this case hmm. uh that just messes things around in your brain a bit and then that can can kind of push you out of a really bad situation and i wonder if there's something similar 
with psychedelics where they just do really weird things to your brain. They just, they just give you strange perceptions. They uh, alter the way you're thinking about stuff. And then afterwards, your thinking patterns have just been shaken about a little bit like a like a a kaleidoscope or something or, or yeah. an etch-a-sketch or something and it's and it's slightly removed what was there previously and it doesn't fit into the lovely I, it does though it's, i mean you could definitely describe that as your your beliefs are flattened you, you you end up in some random place on the landscape on the belief landscape because your yeah. your the ability to get over the the, the hills and valleys that were previously there have, right. has, has moved. Right. You know? So you're um, saying the theory is unfalsifiable, right? Okay. Well, yeah, I, I, I think uh, I literally uh, said that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, um, I, I should say that um, although the Bayesian brain thing has become a big deal in neuroscience and mm. psychology, and lots of people are doing research on it and are testing its prediction, blah, blah, blah. It is the case that there are some critics of it and there are of some course. papers out there that kind of go through the... Uh, the predictions they say things like it's unfalsifiable they say things like it's just so stories they say things like basically any observation can fit into the world of the the the, the bayesian brain theory and also they criticize that there are some predictions made about how optimal people are you know we have this this brain that's making these optimal bayesian decisions and actually there are lots of suboptimal things about our perception and the way we think and that doesn't really fit into it so th- th- there's a whole debate about that in literature but let's not talk about that the study show is brought to you by the online magazine works in progress um oh yes i've heard of that Stuart. yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what what have you been reading there recently Tom? okay so there was a great article um about how you know well i think i think there's a there's a, a sort of meme in society about how progress has stopped right you know that we in yeah. the 1950s we all thought we'd be having flying cars and breakfasting on the moon and stuff and that you know actually that then that never happened but there's a great article in one of the more recent issues about how that's a really unfair way of looking at it. And that actually the the vast growth in information technology that's happened in the last 20, 30, 40 years genuinely has transformed society in amazing ways and has also, um, uh, it's starting to see the more uh, dramatic changes in sort of the, the sort of physical side of things. You know, the, mm. we, um, you see things like SpaceX and reusable spaceflight, which wouldn't be possible without advanced information technology. So so I think it's, it's just a really eye-opening look at how progress has happened, perhaps much more than people realize. And in fact, I believe there's a whole, not just that one article, but there's a whole special issue with, uh, I think, six or so articles on this the great this stagnation topic of yeah whether there's been a stagnation whether technology is still moving as fast as it as it was in the past so if you're interested in that topic and i think a lot of people are then that's a really good one to read another one that i really appreciated was this article in the i think it was the december issue from last year about scientific papers because obviously this podcast is all about reading scientific studies but scientific studies are really hard to read they're full of jargon they're really badly written they're not really written by people who have the intention of, you know, communicating their ideas to anyone who's reading them. They're written by people who have a, have a particular audience of other scientists, and so they can often be very insular. So there's this article in Works in Progress called The Elements of Scientific Style, and it's about how, uh, you know, how readable scientific papers are and what we can do to improve that. And that would be an incredible step in progress, because if we want to understand science, we've got to uh, uh, actually communicate it, it effectively. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. We've got to actually <laughs> literally understand what's on the page. So uh, where can you find Works in Progress, Tom? I believe you can find it at worksinprogress.co, Stuart. 
yeah, it's a great website. Check it out, worksinprogress.co. We're very pleased that they've uh, sponsored the study show. So now, back to the study show. Let's talk about studies of psychedelics for mental illness. And one recent one, or recent-ish, I guess it's a couple of years Mm. now, to the uh, 2021, was this, and I think it's probably the most relevant study in that it doesn't just test, this is a psilocybin study, it doesn't just test it versus placebo, it tests it versus another another depression drug, drug. so it yeah. tests it versus do you say escitalopram i've said escitalopram but i do you S- pronounce the sc do you pronounce the c as a k sound yeah i don't know see this is the sort of this is the sort of research we should probably do before the podcast but <laughs> well but no but I, I i actually disagree with that because drug names as we found with semaglutide semaglutide wegovi wegovi you know all that stuff people have at different pronunciations, even if they, they're experts in the field. So, okay. so I'll, I'll, I'll say, I say escitalopram, you say escitalopram, let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> they, yeah. the, the point is they test psilocybin versus a, a well-known, well-used antidepressant drug. And I believe the best perform- – I've, I've written in my notes that it's the best performing antidepressant. I, I, I now can't remember where I got that from, but I feel like it's what it's the best. Probably in a meta-analysis, yeah. it comes out a little bit better, but I wouldn't yeah. really – like I think there's yeah. – the evidence – between the different drugs is not i think there are some that definitely work worse than the majority but i'm not sure that you can say that there's super strong evidence that one is the particularly yeah. best one and as we said some work best for better for some people and others yeah, for exactly others. i think that i think that's what complicates it so anyway mm-hmm. 25 milligrams of psilocybin mm-hmm. and by, by the way i think this is a really impressive study because it's hard to get your hands on these drugs in the first place because they're illegal so yeah. you've got to do everything through i mean it must be endless forms to fill in and panels to put your research by and all that sort of stuff so i'm you know i'm really impressed by the tenacity of the researchers who are doing these studies right i think you would give up a lot of people would just give up yeah before you even get to doing the study and the reason they don't give up we may get back to it well yeah yeah exactly exactly (laughs) so so also an effect of the studies being so expensive is that they're also really small so there's only 59 patients in this mm. study randomized to get psilocybin or to get uh escitalopram the, the the antidepressant drug and then they were tested after i think six weeks is that right sounds right yeah six week period they had their depression levels measured when they started and then when they ended on this measure called the quids which is the quick Inventory of depressive of depressive symptomatology QIDS. Okay. Uh, it's a questionnaire you fill in where you say how depressed you are on twenty seven different questions, um, and the main outcome of the study was: do they get better on this quids? measure and it, the quiz is a very standard thing that you use to measure depression there are various different measures of depression but that's but that's one of them that is you know fairly commonly used and in any other circumstance the, 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 this study had null results in that there was not a difference between mm. the psilocybin and the ssri and in any other circumstance you'd be like oh well it doesn't work versus the best antidepressant we have so that's never mind we'll throw this throw this out try and look at something else but Actually, in this case, that's really interesting because mm. psilocybin potentially has lower side effects. It's a, it's a kind of natural compound that we can find. Uh, it's not a, a, an extreme... It doesn't cause all the... You know, antidepressants have side effects like they 
lower your affect, they flatten your affect, so yeah. you can't feel as strong emotions, which is good in some ways, but bad in others. They have effects on your like sexual function and things like that. So you know, people don't want that. Um, not that psilocybin doesn't have uh, side effects too, but it might be it might be better tolerated than than that. So I think that's uh, I think that's interesting, and I think they say that the incidence of adverse events was similar, but I think the adverse events were worse. Uh, at least you could read it as seeing that the adver- the adverse events were worse in the antidepressant group. I think. May I um, check something? I mean, one thing is like antidepressants; you take them every day, or at least you know regularly, right? And yeah. I, I I don't know, but I, I were, were the were the I, I sort of sometimes get the impression with anti with the sort of psychedelics treatment is the sort of idea that it should it should be not maybe not a one off, but not 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 ongoing in the same way that you sort of ha- that it shakes up your belief landscape in this thing, and then you, right, and then you're kind of done, and then you're you're done, or at least done for a while until you fall yeah. back. Into the, is that how it works? Is it? Uh, I think they they're taking daily antidepressants certainly, mm-hmm. um, and I think they're taking daily psilocybin. Well, well, they're taking daily something, right? But they don't know because they it's meant to be you know it's blinded so they're taking uphill but i think right at the very start they just get the 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 psilocybin and then they're just taking placebo pills for for the other days so it seems like they're taking something and it could be the antidepressant but actually the the psilocybin dose has been has been taken i think okay uh so to keep to keep it similar that's that's my reading uh of the the study and so one criticism of the study is that there's not full control group it's not a null placebo control group at all right so assuming that we go back to other studies and see that okay the psilocybin has a bigger effect than placebo the escitalopram has a bigger effect than placebo that's one potential criticism that you have to just sort of assume on the basis of other data that are not in this study that these have an effect that's bigger than placebo so that's you know wouldn't that's one ethical. thing i mean that's one one i mean that i i wouldn't mind one uh, we always saying we should do a podcast on this and maybe we should but on ethics approvals and things yes but would it would it be ethical to so you know isn't isn't it you're almost ethically required to give the best alternative treatment or best the standard right, existing right. treatment so maybe yeah. it wouldn't be okay to say and you guys will just go on no drug at all and your depression might get worse and things will be bad. So I don't know if they'd be allowed to do that. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good question. Um and it's definitely good practice to compare to the best thing that you have normally mm-hmm. rather than always comparing everything to placebo. So I think that's a you know, it's a it's a potential criticism, but it's not the end of the world. There was another problem with the study which we haven't talked about, which was the studies are meant to be double blind. You know, that you're so the the patient and the the prescribing doctor or the the scientist and the the subject are both supposed to be unaware of who's on the real drug and who's on the placebo or in this case in you know on the escitalopram the control and it's actually quite hard to double blind something when you hallucinate when you get the real thing you hallucinate you know so so this was quite hard to do the um the scientists did try to get around it with what seems to me quite a clever system where they they gave the control arm a tiny dose of uh, psilocybin as well as the the escitalopram so so it would be subclinical so they wouldn't notice it but it just hopefully would be enough to throw into people's minds a bit of doubt or if i am hallucinating might that be that tiny dose or if i am if i'm not hallucinating is it you know was the dose not big enough on either side i don't know but it, it, the, i think it'd be very hard not to spot that you were on the on the control or the or the real yeah. arm of the especially the because the people who do these studies because of course mm-hmm. it's volunteer recruitment. 
have in many cases tried these things before, right? You 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 go into a study like this because you're kind of interested in psychedelics. Yeah, pre-selected uh, there, aren't you? Um, but then I, have, I spoke to back in 2021 when the study came out. I spoke to the uh, one of the authors, um, Robin Carhart Harris, and he did say, and I'm, I'm taking his word for this, so I hope it's true, um, that 80 percent of patients in just normal uh, trials of SSRI antidepressants, you know, but perfectly non-hallucinatory ones, they can correctly identify whether they're in the, the treatment arm or the placebo arm. So maybe, maybe, it maybe it's just that all these studies are rubbish. Because <laughs> everything's shit. That just means everything's shit. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that, we're, that psychedelics are particularly good. I mean, maybe it means that it's less of a particular issue for psychedelics. But yeah, or it means that we could be a bit unfair to hold psychedelics to this higher standard. You know, if, if all drug research like this is bad then and you know and also the question is how much the placebo effect is real in this you know the, the, that's a, again a, a, a gigantic topic of discussion how much it's uh, a real thing and how much it's to do with the doctor's expectations and all that sort of stuff but yeah but yeah. I, I, I feel like I, it doesn't sound like this is a particular problem for psychedelics research over and above psychiatric no, drugs research I, I think i think there is a problem for psychedelics research with this study which is a bit of hype and i think the way it was talked about in the media was not really you know it was written as if it was this massive victory for psilocybin mm. and they have these secondary outcomes that are not the quids they have these secondary mm. outcomes on which, you know, psilocybin seems to be a bit better. In the paper, they say other secondary outcomes generally favored psilocybin over escitalopram, but the analyses were not corrected for multiple comparisons. So they're actually saying in the paper, we're not drawing conclusions from, mm. from this. But when they talk about it in the media, they do draw conclusions and they say, you know, there are other things you know there are other sort of well-being measures the secondary analyses are like and not not necessarily measures of depression but they're measures of well-being there's a blog by carhart harris that he wrote and he said he felt pressured to be too conservative about the results mm. uh, and it seems like you should be very conservative about results for a kind of new treatment in a phase two trial that is it's a it's an early stage trial mm. uh i would feel like i would want to be more conservative rather than less in this in this case and also I always wonder when people say we didn't correct these for multiple comparisons. Uh, just, just correct it then. It yeah, just so seems it weird when you say in your paper, I didn't correct. Don't interpret this because we didn't correct them for multiple comparisons. Just do it. Hmm. Yeah. You, you could, I mean, it's I could. A, I, I, yeah. It's really not very difficult. It's, it's actually only a, like a, a few. I'm, I'm right in saying Bonferroni correction or whatever only takes yeah, like one. Just sum, one line right? of code. Yeah, it's not a big deal. <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, I, so I, don't, I find that a bit weird. But anyway, the, the, I feel like. But there's an ambiguous aspect to that, and I don't think the ambiguity's kind of made it out to you know there's an article in The Guardian and various other things in the press. It's cool that that the magic mushrooms did just as good as normal depressant uh, and normal antidepressants. That's great. Yeah. But or at least, you know, in in a phase three trial, we need to actually get a phase three trial to a larger scale trial to check that. But you don't yeah, need but to it's promising, right? It's exaggerate. promising. Yeah, you don't yeah, yeah. You don't you don't need to go and say actually this thing yeah if if we looked at something else which we didn't actually say we were going to look at but we're, we're now gonna yeah then yeah you're right you're right that, do a that press is... release did they need a press release on it which they did like is that yeah. do, you, do you press release phase two trial i mean some i mean if it's a if it's a vaccine to a current pandemic i can understand why you would want to put out the news the good news and stuff but i don't know do you need, do you need, to, do a, do you need to do a press release and, and i get the impression that they haven't always been entirely open to criticism along these lines is that fair <laughs> Well, my understanding is that some of the people in this study got their brain scanned as well. 
And I think there was another group of people who had a kind of open label trial of psilocybin who also got their brain scanned. That's what led to that study that you mentioned earlier about depression, depressed people's brains being freed up by taking psilocybin, right? So that was yeah. that is, uh, the study that you mentioned there. And they, they published this in 2022, and it had an fMRI uh, study. I think it was in 2022. And fMRI studies are, you know, controversial for all sorts of reasons, usually because they tend to be very small and the conclusions that we draw from them need to be quite tentative. Mm-hmm. And this study, and again, you know, freeing up the brain, blah, blah, blah. Like I can see how it fits with the theoretical predictions and so on, but that does sound like quite a big claim to make for a tiny little fMRI study, especially when, you know, they're talking about some complex measure of connectivity in in, in the brain and, and, and the way that, you know, functional connectivity works. But anyway, they got criticized for it and then they had a huge meltdown. They were some some other scientists wrote a wrote a critical paper and they wrote we question the real motivation for the, the the people's critique of our work. The critic, the main critic himself, openly expressed his offence at not having been cited in our Nature Medicine paper. Another one of the critics is senior author of the same paper that was overlooked. He's also a close colleague, blah, blah, blah. We believe it is likely that both individuals felt aggrieved by a case of peer-to-peer neglect. It's like, yeah. is this the sort of thing you put in a scientific bit, you know, response? School, school playground, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then uh, later on... This, left you out. It's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, and then later on, they talk about, basically, they're saying, how dare you criticize the quality of our work? I have a lot of citations. The lead author... The lead author's, quote, annual citation rate may rank as the highest in the field of psychedelic science and medicine. This was accomplished against a culture of skepticism regarding the merits of psychedelic research that likely held it back for years. Previous research has found evidence of an endemic skepticism among the broader scientific community regarding the scientific merits of scientists working in psychedelic research. It is therefore a cheap shot of these critics to attempt to discredit the rigor of our work. It just makes me think of that scene in... um... Uh, Monty Python and the um, life, of, life of Brian. He wanks as high as any in Worm. It's absolutely unbelievable. They go on yeah, to talk about how D- David Nutt, who's one of the, one of the colleagues, has seven, 71,000 citations, blah, blah, blah. I mean, anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a defence against a, a, a criticism yeah. of your research. Yeah, the, the criticism is either fair or it's not. It doesn't matter. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, we Mad. should probably move on to the other, because there have been other studies. There was, uh, we've got a little list of them here. We can rattle through them, but <laughs> There's ton- yeah, there's tons of smaller of smaller studies. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- that are like I-, I think. I mean, we don't need to we don't need to rattle through the whole list really because uh, if you want to if you want to see the whole the the, the list up till twenty twenty two, they're yeah they're in the list and they're on my Substack uh, about psychedelics as well. But basically, my impression is that this is very early in the day, hmm. very early days, early in the day, whatever you say, oh, whatever that phrase is. Both, both nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're small studies. We only have one that compares to, you know, an established treatment. Hmm. It's fine to be a little bit uncertain and ambiguous at this point. You know, it it seems to me that we don't need to, you know, get the hype machine going. We can just do research. We don't need to get raging that people are criticizing us because that's what fields that our early days are like. People have lots of different criticisms and studies with small, with lots of fields with lots of small studies with methodological problems do have lots of criticisms and that's fine. That's, that's how science works. And it may well turn out that we get bigger studies and they confirm the effects of psychedelics. Totally plausible. It's just that that's my broad impression of the, of the field, but there are some problems that are, that are quite general 
I think, mm. that we should discuss. So we talked about the issue of blinding, that it's hard to blind these studies. And even if that's the case in antidepressant studies, that doesn't make it better. Yeah. For, for psilocybin or, or, or other kind of... Uh, yeah, it's still, uh, still a problem. For just, yeah, you're not graded yeah. on a curve in these things, are you? Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think it's... I mean, I, I think placebo effects are a major problem in loads of different things. There's certainly a big deal in, in therapy where you can mm. you can definitely tell whether you've been given a, ther- a particular therapy or not. They're the case in any kind of study where people are um, doing something that that is really obvious. Like I just wrote an article about wearing orange glasses to cut out blue light at night and whether it helps you sleep. Like you know you're wearing orange glasses. There's no way to hide that. It's really yeah. it's really hard. So so um I think I think there's a really pervasive problem of placebo effects. I think there may even be a paper that I'm thinking of called the pervasive problem of placebos in psychological research or something which well, guess, we can put like, so in the, the so the, the you know we were talking the other, the, recently about smoking and like it was smoking like the, the it's about the problem there was confounders not placebo but you know the, if if your signal is strong enough then your confounders don't matter really in the end right you know the the the, 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 the if you if you if smoking causes cancer we can tell because people who smoke are loads more likely to get cancer and you can't like yes adjust for that you know, can't control variables to make it go away yeah and i and I, I suppose that's my feeling with placebo stuff right if these are really good then it should then the the, the slight problems with you know the slight pro- problems with placebo stuff should wash out and so or, or, you know it should, it should be it should be obvious it should be a big great big effect and we shouldn't be arguing about whether it might be placebo you know and, and yeah. if it is if it's that but maybe that maybe that's maybe that's optimistic. well i mean I, yeah i think I think that's a fair point for some things, especially especially if you look at the sort of level of hype in the media and you say like, if it was as good as this, then we mm. would it would be it would stick out like a sore thumb. But I think yeah. a lot of like antidepressant drugs only do a little bit better than placebo. Really, they have a, they have a modest effect, mm. and you know we still have we still we still use them. Lots of drugs have quite small effects, and that's fine. Because and they presumably have... with antidepressants, that's a lot to do with an averaging thing. Like if, if your antidepressant yeah, only works yeah. in 10% of patients, but it works really well in them, then you've got to yeah. divide your effect in those 10% of patients by 10 to get your average. Right, right, exactly, exactly. We say this a lot, but we should do a, an antidepressants episode just specifically on... on Definitely, uh, on... it was really fascinating. But yeah, but so also, these trials yeah. are hard because of that, but they're also, um, they're also hard because of people's expectancies, not just the participants' expectancies, Mm. but the expectancies of the authors the scientists and you can be double blind while a trial is actually being done with respect to which person the you know is in which group but people don't often blind themselves when they're doing the statistical analysis you know the perfect study would you know all stages including the analysis the people doing the analysis wouldn't know which group was in you know which group had the placebo and which group had the the effect or which group had the escitalopram and which group had the psilocybin and your expectations, your unconscious biases, sometimes conscious biases, can come into play. And we know that this happens in loads of different areas. But one particularly worrying thing in the psychedelics literature, and it's not unique to psychedelics, but I think it's it's um, maybe particularly sort of prominent in psychedelics, is that a lot of the researchers are themselves really into psychedelics, and they want it to be a medical treatment. They would really like they would really like psychedelics to work in the same way that people who are imagine that all the research on whether veganism was healthy all the research was done by vegans i'm sure a lot of it is yeah there's clearly a bias there i mean and um, it's, it's a very broad i mean it's it's a it's a bias of incredibly large amounts of science because the people who are interested in a thing are the ones who are most likely to want to research it right well, exactly research is, is research you know? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I hadn't heard that phrase before, and I don't like it. But yeah, yeah okay. Fair it enough. is. Yeah. It is an annoying phrase, but I think it does. Uh, it does sum sum up quite quite a lot. I bet a lot of the people who do research on things like aspartame we talked about in a previous study mm-hmm. are you know the ones who are really worried about it. Um, but but also positive, also positive stuff. It's just human nature. If you do a, uh, you know a study into a medical treatment to want it to work, right? you're fooling yourself if you think you're being completely objective when you're doing a study of some medical treatment that might help people with mental illness or might help people with cancer or whatever it is you've of course you want it to work so you have to do absolutely everything you can to be blind to have all the decisions taken out of your hands to pre-register every single aspect of your study to um uh, get an independent group of people to do the analysis, you know, whatever. And I think in this, in the case of psychedelics, it would be really helpful and convincing if if people went to a, you know, bent over backwards to really show us that you know our bias is not affecting the quality of the results in this uh, in, in in this case because I think it it clearly can in many fields. And given that a lot of psychedelic researchers are themselves psychonauts as they call them feel that's the thing there was there's one anecdotal account from a a researcher who says that he's only met one fellow researcher who doesn't take these drugs themselves so you know that's that i mean that is amazing if it's you know if that's if that's representative Uh, it's it's, it's just gonna be hard anyway sorry i think i feel like you've got more hilarious anecdotes about weird beliefs of psychology well yeah but well but even before we get to that it's not just the belief it's not just the, the the belief bias it's also the financial conflicts of interest like there are lots of startups now who want to create the next psychedelic therapy for mental illness and they are have a financial interest just in in exactly the same way that big pharma has a financial interest in antidepressants and other drugs and so if you're being skeptical of them and i think a lot of people who are kind of into the idea of psychedelics for mental illness like it because it's almost like an anti-big pharma thing like Mm. you know oh it's not these these drugs that are, you know, the big farmers try to push on us. It's something more holistic and natural or whatever. But actually, there are drug companies with financial interests in these treatments, just the same as anything else. So that's just one thing to bear in mind. Also, yeah, I think, you know, we said at the very start that a lot of the people that are into this are kind of hippies. I think some, some of the major players in this game have said some really weird things, aside from saying don't you know who I am? How do you criticize me? There's some of the major players who have said other things that make me a little bit worried. So one of the quotes from my Substack that I wrote about this, Rick Doblin, who is the executive director of the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, which is one of the biggest research, bodies research organizations in this, in this field. And they've published actually a phase three trial of MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder. He has said some really weird things about the, you know, he said that uh, psychedelic therapy could have prevented the war in Iraq. Right. Um, he said that uh, psychedelic therapy will produce something which he calls a spiritualized humanity. And I don't think he's referring to the shoegaze British indie band okay. led by okay. Jay Spaceman. Uh, no, well, uh, spiritualized. Yeah, so. yep. Okay, good. I'm glad he's not referring to that. Um, uh, yeah, produce a spiritualized so- humanity by 2070, specifically, he oh, says. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. And also he thinks that he says to his employees that they should just smoke marijuana while they're, while they're at work. You know, for, fine, uh, I guess. It's going to make you a bit less productive, probably. But <laughs> exactly. um, yeah, it's not the end of the world. And, and, and he was involved in a bit of a, or Maps was involved in a bit of a sort of scandal in one of their sort of trials into these, into these drugs. There's a whole podcast um, series about this 
which is called Cover Story Power Trip. I think it's a New York magazine. They have this thing called Cover Story, and it was called Power Trip. And uh, they looked into some of the things that happened during the PTSD clinical trials. And the problem with these therapies, I mean, a lot of people ask, like, what's the harm? These, you know, taking ecstasy is not that bad. It's not like taking some experimental drug that we don't know what effects it has on people. It makes you love everything and have very nice sensations and makes you a bit thirsty, maybe. Is that, is that uh, well, I think I think people um, they they dance a lot and don't notice that they are getting dehydrated, so they get right, cold. Right. Lots of water, and, and you chew yeah. the inside of your face, as I uh, have previously yeah, exactly. previously mentioned. Um, but there's a horrible, like a really genuinely unpleasant video of a, a therapist. You know, someone's been given ecstasy, and she's you know you become more pliable and you become more vulnerable when you're taking these drugs. And there's a there's a horrible video of like a, a therapist like crawling all over this person and like grabbing her and sexually assaulting her in various in various ways. So when people say what's the harm, it is something that you gotta you gotta bear in mind. It's worth listening to that podcast, uh, that cover story podcast for 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 that. Anyway, Rick Doblin, who is the Maps executive director, who I mentioned, basically said that maybe psychedelic therapy can help people be stronger and uh, help them resist the pressure when their therapist wants to engage in a sexual relationship, which is not really the most ideal comment to, to make, I feel, right. in, this, in, in this era. But anyway, the, yeah. their, study, their study had a massive, massive effect size on, uh, like a really surprisingly massive effect size on post-traumatic stress disorder. And it has been criticized as well, uh, even though it's a phase three trial. But I suspect that's the phase three trial that, that, that made Australia, um, yeah, yeah. you know, pushed Australia into legalizing MDMA for PTSD. So, you know, that, that's that's where we are right now. I feel like we're we're at a very early stage with this research. There's lots of pitfalls. There's lots of elephant traps out there in you know the, the, doing doing the research. Um, and I, I think every study is sort of questionable in some way. There are some studies that are much worse than others. Studies where you know, so Eiko Fried, who is a psychologist, a German psychologist who is an expert in depression and has been quite critical of psychedelic studies has picked up on studies where he effectively accuses the, the authors of lying about the side effects, for instance. So they say in the paper, side effects were fine. And then you look at the actual, you know, you dig into the supplementary materials of the paper and you find that the side effects were actually really quite bad, for instance, and things like that. So I, I just feel there's a lot of biases, a lot of big claims, a lot of big hype. And I think that's just a red flag that we should just take it easy with this area. Yeah. I did ask a um, friend of the show, Keith Humphreys, who's a professor at Stanford University and uh, used to be an advisor to the Obama administration on drugs. And he just, he basically agreed with what you said. Like psychedelic stuff is incredibly overhyped and the study designs are really, really weak, but there could still be something there. He says, you know, it, it, we may find out in future that this is a, this actually is a brilliant thing, but so far, and the study, like I said earlier on, the, the theory is lovely and neat and everyone loves a good theory, but it sounds like the, the studies are not really there yet to start giving Australians psilocybin all the time to see if it makes them happier. Is that fair? Is that a fair I, think that's, I think that's fair. And I like uh, uh, looking at Keith's quote, that people are, I don't know, if this is, is this a quote or is this a summary of what you, what so, you said? So that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a quote that I've, for the listeners that I've written in our show notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, an unwillingness to have the grown-up conversation of whether these drugs should be legal simply because people want to take them, not because they cure an illness. And I think that's a very fair point, which is there's clearly a, a, a motivational thing here. We've mentioned this several times. There's clearly a motivational thing where it's like, it's okay to say that you want these drugs legalized because they're fun and you like them. And, and also that you might think that, uh, that there are other benefits of drug legalization, less gang activity, crime, you know, taking things out of criminals' hands, all that sort of stuff. That's a perfectly fair argument to make. Yeah. You don't need to say, oh, and by the way, these drugs revolutionize mental health treatment, especially if we don't have the evidence for that. 
you can just say that we want to take them because they're fun and that's that's fine yeah yeah absolutely and, and that should like we said about a spa, a spa team last week if 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 you know people's enjoyment of stuff should be part of the the cost benefit right. equation right. all sort of stuff you know? i'm i'm and happy to listen to that as part of the equation yeah now we sh- we have been we're running quite long so we should wrap this up i think yes. um yeah uh i'm tom chivers uh and that you are Stuart ritchie and this yes. has been the study show so yep. uh, thanks very much for listening yeah and don't forget if you uh if you want to subscribe to the show get this show in your in your email inbox go to our Substack. um in fact i think we have a url a special url now is that yes, right we, do. we have um the studies show pod.com the study show pod.com go there if you if you're feeling very generous you can give us a paid subscription you can also give us a free subscription there's going to be extra options some sh- extra shows and also some uh, some uh, ways to to chat with us and so on for for paid subscribers that we're going to open up soon and uh, the only other thing i have to say is uh, peace out man oh god i'm not gonna do that okay uh, but but yes but thanks for listening i will say that <laughs> cheers